Can you hear me at all? I can. You can? Yeah. I can't hear you yet. Okay, hold on. Oh, say something. Oh, so like if I... Does this have an output? Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the TCAPS Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and the only way you could get on was by meat bombing the show. It's the technologist, David Noller. I have successfully rolled my insight check and will now open the tome of ancient wisdoms for this week's moment of Zen. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto a road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. I feel like that's kind of apropos to our current situation in EdTech right now because there's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of yeah. unknowns and uh, we still have to step out the door. So uh, if there's anybody that's right on the front lines of opening that door and getting out and venturing into the into the world, it's Mr. Noller here. So welcome back. Thanks. It's been a bit. Uh, I want to say thank you for welcoming me with an RPG reference, Rolling for Initiative. And also um, the Lord of the Rings um, reference there. We were just talking before we started about how this year has allowed me a lot of time to read. And I haven't read the Lord of the Rings of the Hobbit since I was probably in my early teens. And I feel like I needed to read it again. And so maybe we'll put that back on the shelf for what's coming up next. But yeah, thanks for that. That great. That was a Noller introduction. Roll for initiative. And books. I you know, I know my audience. So I'm gonna actually give you you rolled high. You rolled high for initiative. Right, so I'm gonna right. I'm gonna kind of give you the uh first turn, the first action of the turn. What do you want to talk about today? Well, we had a recent meeting with our language arts teachers where we we wanted to discuss how can we keep kids engaged when we're in, in remote learning. We went to remote learning just like we did kind of last spring, where it was one day we were in the classroom and the next day we weren't. And we had been fortunate this time to be able to prepare our kids in terms of getting those relationships together and developing trust with them and letting them know how we were going to handle this if we were to go remote. And then when we did, we still had some struggles with kids who weren't ready to engage in that online environment and certainly not ready to do it six hours a day. Now, we set up our schedules so that they had many breaks throughout the day, and they were long breaks. But when a kid is home, and maybe they don't have a parent there, and they've got their laptop with their English teacher, this guy, um, talking about Emily Dickinson, and they've got uh, Gears of War or Overwatch or Dance Dance Revolution over on the other screen or their favorite uh, streaming TV show, and that's all available to them, it can be a challenge to break through their other interests when there's no one there to be able to kind of stand next to them or tap them on the shoulder lightly or, you know, give them a little bit of a wink about, hey, you know, let's let's do the thing that we're doing today. And seeing that through a screen can be difficult. So we were talking about how we maintain engagement and how we can more likely check for engagement. And so a lot of the tools that got brought up are things that we've been using in online, not not just online teaching and learning, but like things that we would do in the classroom using an online tool. Things like uh, Socrative or Formative or Mentimeter 
or Kahoot, Nearpod, Pear Deck, Edpuzzle. All of these tools are things that, um, without going into what each one of them does, allows the teacher an opportunity to get real-time feedback. As the students make that feedback, you can see exactly what they said in real time. You don't have to go in and click on a student's name and check their response and then click to the next student to collect all that feedback. It's real time and it's all on one screen. Um, And so the teachers that I was talking with were explaining to each other how these different tools allowed them to determine engagement and then gave them a better idea of who they needed to address so that if the teacher noticed that Callie was not responding to the question that they just put up on Mentimeter or put up in the Google Classroom uh, question module or um, in Nearpod that she hadn't joined the Nearpod presentation, she can say, hey, Callie, are you having a, a problem getting into that uh, to that Nearpod? And maybe that kid was having an issue and maybe that kid was watching TV. <laughs> and so it allowed the teacher to more effectively determine engagement and intervene when necessary. I think that is a pretty big ask to our students, that, that level of responsibility. I mean, it's difficult to keep kids engaged when they're in front of you, let alone when they have uh, significant distractions at home, be it uh, a game or a show or just their their home life in some cases. Giving teachers those tools is, is super important. And we'll have links. You know, you went through a list there and actually we could probably spend a decent amount of time on each one of those as far as getting teachers used to what those things do. And maybe we should, you know, maybe not all of them, but a, a, a little a little sure. insight into what each one can be used for in a general sure. description. One of the one of the ones that is um, being used more and more is something called Nearpod. And one of the nice things about Nearpod, A, it's free. There are some elements of it that are available to paid users. But if you want to just use it as the free version, you can. And you can even get data reports uh, from that paid version. So, for example, if uh, my students, we were face-to-face today, but I could have done this remotely. And I used Nearpod in class today. But again, you can you can choose to have this uh, Nearpod experience be done remotely. And so what it does is the first thing I had in my Nearpod today was a poll. How comfortable are you using what I call TLQ format, which is a writing technique that we don't need to get into, but it involves using quotations and citations and whatever. How comfortable are you using this format? We've been practicing it throughout the semester. Where are you on the scale? They enter a, a choice like it's a multiple choice thing. The program knows it's a poll, so it doesn't mark it right or wrong. And then you control as the teacher moving through this set of activities. And so I clicked on the the forward arrow once I had everybody's uh, response to that poll. And it presents them with, I, I can choose a multiple choice question. Which of these looks like a correct way to do a parenthetical citation? The next slide was a collection of transition words and transition purposes. And they clicked on these tiles to match them up. And they would glow green if they were correct, and they'd glow red if they were an incorrect match. And they did to match up all 12 of these tiles, and it was a reminder about what is the purpose of the transitions we use at the beginning of sentences. The next thing in this activity was a full paragraph with a word bank at the bottom, 
and holes in the paragraph. And by using the clues in the paragraph, they would be able to tell which transition to put at the front of which sentence and which citation went at the end of each sentence. Um, so it was a way to get them to think about transitions and lead-ins and quotations and parenthetical citations in a review method where we've already taught this content, but we were about to do a peer editing uh, experience. And I wanted them to be thinking about these technicalities because they needed to help their partner by examining those and determining whether they were accurate or not. And so Nearpod allows you to get an entire class together and then work through. I could have taken done used this to create a whole lesson that would have taken 20 or 30 minutes. I used it for a brief review. But one of the things that, that it does is it shows the teacher, not the students, but it shows the teacher which students are in and what they said for each question and what the percentages were of each response. So if I have a multiple choice question where there's an actual right answer, it'll tell me how many got it right. And if I need to, I can pause in that moment and reteach a concept. That's a more robust activity that is more than just a check for understanding. You can actually create a lesson within it. Something like formative or mentimeter, those are used often for uh, just asking a question or two uh, as a kind of warm-up to get kids thinking about a particular idea. Or as one of my teachers said, he would do these three or four times within a lesson where he would deliver some content. He would use a, a formative question. All those student responses would come up on the screen and you could uh, they would just kind of scroll through. Uh, and then he could address any uh, misunderstandings or inaccuracies. And then he could do another little chunk of content or he could have the kids do uh, a short activity. And then another formative question where, you know, what understandings do you now have or what questions do you have? And by making it something where the students have to write out a response, it's not just ask a question if you have one. By making them kind of either write out, here's what I understand or here's what I need to know, it puts more accountability on the students for actively engaging in the lesson. I could see where that's actually more um, efficient and a more accurate measure of student engagement than what we would typically do in a classroom because you are able to get uh, multiple responses at the same time. Yeah. And that's why a lot of teachers are actually taking these tools and bringing them into the classroom with them in face-to-face -face environments. That's one of the things that came out of this meeting. Uh, in the last professional development day we had, I led a session that was like a, an exchange of good ideas that they'd gotten on remote teaching. And one of the things that kept coming up was I started using this during remote teaching and I want to keep using it in the classroom. Like the Nearpod example I did today. Sure, that's a great way to do a lesson when you're remote. It engages the students. It requires them to be in the lesson with you and participating. But it's also effective for being in the room where you're leading them through the lesson and they're still engaged in using the device that they have to interact with the content. And that's, I think, one of the powerful things about these things. You know, one of the reasons I was a, a Google Classroom advocate for a long time, and I still love the Google Classroom question module, because several years ago when I started using this, what I realized that I wasn't doing well enough 
was making kids write before they spoke. Because when you say to the class, here's this question, who'd like to respond? And a couple hands go up. We know it's always the same kids. They're the only kids really doing the thinking in the room. Everybody else knows Jimmy and Sally are always going to be the ones to answer the questions. So I, I can just kind of sit back and listen. Do you know any Sally's? Do we make Sally's anymore? It's a very like that, good question. I think Sally's are going to be making a comeback now that you say that. That could be. That yeah. could be. We picked Charlotte because we thought it was unique. It's not. Try Lily um, or Briar. You can't find a coffee cup with that on it. I can tell you that right now. There you go. <laughs> um, so that classroom question module, it makes kids accountable for thinking even if it's only because if they don't do it, they're not going to get the grade for that thing. And that's not what I want it to come down to. But it also gives kids the opportunity to write out a response who normally wouldn't even bother to think about it. And it allows their voice to get out there. And one of the things I intentionally do is use that to target those kids whose voices normally don't get heard and find something good. It, maybe not every time, but find something good that these kids that normally don't get a voice and identify it and call it out and say, that's a really good way to think about that. That's a really good example. Yeah. It's an yeah. opportunity for positive reinforcement that otherwise Absolutely. would not ever happen. It's never fake and it's never condescending. It's always authentic because it's actually good thinking because they would see right through that. If I condescended and told them it was a good idea when it wasn't, they would see right through that. Everybody would. So again, uh, I think it's about offering opportunities for independent student thought before they then get the opportunity to talk about it. We all like to hear ourselves talk. Have you been paying attention to me for the last 20 minutes? hundred percent, David, hundred yeah, percent. You have, but this gives us an opportunity to let them think in an outward way without having to make that be heard right away. They get to edit their thinking before they share it. And when we're speaking extemporaneously, we don't get that opportunity. So for many of our students, I think it's important to give them that chance to edit their thinking before they then share it. It's a good life skill to have, to be honest, to like think yeah, before you. editing your thinking before you share it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of people out there that could use that skill. There's that, up on classic, a little bit. There's that classic uh, meme from Dwight in the office. And it's something like, before I do a thing, I ask myself, would an idiot do that thing? And if he would, I do not do that thing. I think that's another moment of Zen we just had there, right there. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the gong. Yeah, <laughs> definitely gonna put the gong after that. Yeah, that's a good one. It seems like the reason why we'd use any of these tools is for an opportunity. Obviously, that what we're talking about for increased student engagement. And what we found is that that is true not only online in remote yep. learning, but also in the classroom. And you had mentioned your tie to the uh, Google Apps for Education in Google Classroom. Yep. And you had kind of mentioned that there are some, some features that this is better than, than the features in Google Classroom. My understanding is most of these, these apps and extensions did work, however, with Google Classroom. Is that? Oh, sure. Because it's just mm -hmm. a link. Yeah. Like, whether you're using Nearpod or Socrative or any of the others, it's just a link to the activity. 
I can put that in classroom, Brightspace. <laughs> I could create a bit.ly and write it on the board. All of these tools that we're talking about are readily accessible just because they live on the internet. And they all have free versions of themselves. Most of them have a paid pro version. But most of them have free versions of themselves that teachers can use and get a lot out of. Can the data that's uh, gained from these formative assessments be used in grading or actual assessment? Can, can the data that's used here be used in our learning management system? It depends on the tool. Uh, Nearpod does give you a summary at the end of the session of how the kids responded to every question. And if you have right and wrong questions, it'll show you how many they got right and how many they get wrong. But, and I haven't dove deep into, into Nearpods Pro because I haven't felt the need to. Things like Kahoot will send you an actual spreadsheet of the responses. And again, if you're using that for right or wrong, um, you'll be able to see scores. Now you can enter those scores into your gradebook, but they're not going to flow from the tool into Brightspace and then be able to take advantage of the passback feature of assignments in Brightspace that then automatically get added to our gradebook. And automatically has huge quotation marks around it because it's not automatic. It happens, but it does take a little bit of effort on the teacher part, on the teacher side. And once you do that, it does it for you, but it's not automatic. So I don't know. Very few things the first time or the second time or the third time are instantaneous or just happen. Yeah, it's only after we've done it a couple times, and we've created the 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 actual user has created the efficiencies and the automations in their systems that yeah. then it seems as though it just happens. Yeah, the there's, only- there's a lot of things that we do on a regular basis that actually have multiple steps to them that yeah. we take for granted because sure. they're sure. just part of the process that we're used to. The only things that will pass back in Brightspace are the assignments that are created directly in Brightspace where you click on create new assignment and then you've got the options there. Those are the only things that will pass back. But you have to go through the assignments tab in order to make that pass back process begin. Other things that we do where we send kids to other locations to do work whether it's a Nearpod or a Kahoot or this or that, those things don't and won't, unless they have some major, major upgrade, those won't pass back to our grade book. But, you know, we've been hand entering grades for <laughs> as long as I remember. So I'm, I'm sure it won't be too much of a problem to continue doing that. This is actually a question that I wanted to ask. So what are the differences between an LMS and Google Apps for Education? We know that Google Classroom is not an LMS. It is a place, it's a repository. It's a place where you can set up a weekly progression of activities for students to have access to. And it's wonderful for document management. If you're a writing teacher, the Google method of sharing and commenting and having a grading frame with a a, a rubric within it, hands down 100% wins the game every time. Now, you don't have to use Classroom to have access to that. 
there's a, a feature within Brightspace that where they have a third party app called Google Assignments and it does the same thing. So, but that is the only way I will ever do writing is through the Google feature because it is 100% hands down better than anything that I have access to. For my purposes, I'm going to say that clearly, for my purposes, then, then I see in Brightspace's grading frame. Brightspace is an LMS. It's a learning management system in that it's designed to contain not just the learning activities that a student might engage in, the assignments and the questions, the formative assessment pieces. It's also designed to hold teaching content. It's a place where if I get my class sophisticated enough, I can set it up so that the student has to read something and do an activity before they even have access to the next item in the uh, agenda or in the course outline. Now, we haven't been doing that this year because, in general, an LMS course is set up before the course begins, for the year or for the semester at least. We were building our, quote, L LMS classes as we progress through the semester, we are not using it as an LMS. We're using it like Google Classroom, where we're posting daily work. And I don't know of any of us who are doing things like recording lectures or recording content and posting that and using that as a delivery of content method. I know that teachers are posting resources, but the teaching is still something that's being done live, whether it's face-to-face -face like we are now, or remote like we were in November, December, because that's not what we do. That's not what our level of education is about. Now, it does do things like track student logins and time on task and some of those things, and those are features of an LMS. Yeah, yeah it's kind of end-to-end -end that ties into that finished back-end process that teachers yeah. use you know we get our rosters directly from our sis you know student information system oh yeah sorry <laughs> teachers don't have to manage manage that information that that happens automatically and that's part of the lms feature in order to make google classroom do that we had to have an external piece of software do that for it because it's not an lms it's not a feature of what it would naturally do in terms of assigning particular classes. Uh, before that, we had to have kids use codes and, and manually join. We could pace our course in a way that somebody could jump in and, without even being here, take my course because they have access to my lectures, they have access to my notes, access to the online textbook, activities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When I had to take some classes that were online and through Moodle and or through Blackboard. That's what they were like. Um, I don't know that I ever spoke to a teacher. I would have I would read something, I would answer a series of questions, click next, and it would move on, move me through the course. And at the end I'd get my little certificate or whatever. That's not how an LMS has to be. But I think that's sort of the intent of the organization of it. That it is something where you start in unit one and you can work your way through. Now, the way we're using it is led by a teacher and with the cohort of your classmates. And that's great. But I don't know that we will get to the point where we're really laying these out as full 
published courses that could be done that way. I don't, I don't know that we want to. That was exactly you know, what I was thinking. Yeah. It, and, I, and that's not a criticism. None of that is intended to be a criticism of Brightspace or LMSs or anything else. I just don't know that we want to do it that way. I get wanting to have a repeatable course that every year I can just bring it up again. But as, as we all know, especially public school educators who have been trained to be professionals, professional educators, aside from being professional about their content, like my wife's a biology major. I was an English major. Cool. But we're also education experts. The teaching you get from public school teachers comes from philosophy and learning about what makes good education. One of the things we see in college is that people with PhDs who've never had a class of how to teach <laughs> go into a classroom and they think teaching is talking for three hours. And that's what it is. And I, I have to leave that alone. I've tried that approach with my kids as far as parenting goes. Uh -huh. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. the, the engagement level's not high. Yeah. Well, you need to use like Pear Deck or Formative to see if they're getting the lesson along the way. Um, so I, I really don't think we're going to get to a point because we do have professional educators who are experts at education. I don't think we'll ever get to a point where we're just going to say, here's the online course. Just start at the beginning <laughs> and go through. Uh, because we know that that's not effective learning. Even the tech guy knows. And this has proven in multiple studies for the last two decades. The least effective kind of learning is online with no teacher engagement, with no face-to-face -face engagement. Fully online courses where there's no face-to-face -face engagement with the teacher are the least effective methods of learning. We know that. We know that we're going to engage our technology in a classroom along with their colleagues, their cohort, their peers, and a teacher. Because that is the most effective. Deeper philosophy question. And I was just thinking okay. about this. I was Deeper also a philosophy major, so go yeah. for it. One of the things that um, having a teacher available to you as a student is it allows the student agency over their learning. If you have uh, an LMS with a start, here's the path, mm -hmm. you follow the path, and you get to the end. It does not allow for any agency, creativity, or choice by the user. Whereas okay. if, you have, if you have interaction with a teacher, it suddenly allows, maybe not a ton, yeah. but it does allow for creativity and agency or even perceived sure. creativity and agency sure. from the student, which increases engagement. And I think video games have learned this through the years. Uh -huh. Even though the end result is oftentimes the same, which is kind of what we want to do in, in most of our educational journeys, the path to get to that end at least has to be perceived as the user or the player's choice to increase or maintain engagement. Otherwise, they'll just drop out. Because what's the point? I don't have a, any stock in what I'm right. doing. This doesn't reflect right. me at all. And I think by having that interaction with the teacher, suddenly there is that opportunity for agency and choice and stock from the student's perspective in their learning. 
There's a great video game called Life is Strange. And it is a story game. And it's not a shoot 'em up, run around, collect this, collect that. It's not that at all. It's a story game. And what happens is you're playing this girl and you have to walk her through this story. And every once in a while, something happens where you get to change the events by rewinding. She has this kind of superpower that she discovers. You get to rewind that event. Uh, and sometimes you rewind to succeed. And sometimes you rewind just to change what happened because you made a choice and then something happened and you're like, nope, I don't want that. Nope. Let's check, rewind. And then you get to make a different choice. And it's a, it's a beautiful game uh, that in the end, there are two endings. And depending how you play the game, you get one of the two endings. Now, granted, there aren't a thousand endings, but the game is replayable because there are, I'm, I'm guessing here, hundreds of choices that you make in the game. Sometimes they only affect dialogue. Sometimes they affect whether somebody does something that makes you angry or that makes you sad. Or, you know, when you started talking about how games have learned that, kids love games because they give them those choices. Even when, as you said, there's not really a choice in the end. It's all going to lead to the same spot, or it's going to lead to one of a couple different spots. Now, I sort of hemmed and hawed when you said the, that the LMS wouldn't allow that agency. And that's where... I would say, if I can stop you, it could potentially, but the level of building... And I can say this because um, sure. years ago, I had attempted to do this very thing in Moodle. And uh, had created, a, and it was a really fun process of looking at uh, our Spanish, our elementary Spanish curriculum. I remember. And creating a process that had the perception of choice for our students. Again, it led to the same thing, and they could flow through. But it was two or three options that all kind of came together at critical points where you'd always end up in the same spot. Yeah. But you could have generally two or three choices that would bring you back along two or three pathways. So it wasn't a lot of choice, yeah. Yeah. but once you get into it, it might seem like there's a lot of choice with a narrative kind of built in. Sure. But uh, that's a lot of work. That is. That is a ton of work. And the other thing is that that would be a ton of work is, you know, oftentimes we ask all of our students to do the same thing. Here's an assignment. Okay, 30 people, everybody do it. Okay, one or two of you, just do the first half. You know, we make accommodations and those kinds of things. But what we tend not to do, and I, I don't see this, and you're right, I don't see this in, in online courses, is say, here's a number of different activities that all do the same thing, that all prove the same thing about your skills or your knowledge. Pick one, whatever you want to do, you know. We don't get a lot of that. Now, I can manage that easier in the classroom because I've got a, a student that really takes things super literally. If I, if I show him a picture of a, of a cartoon that I drew and I say, tell me his name. Well, I don't know him. Well, I know. I, I just drew him. So, you know, just tell me what you think his name might be. Well, I don't know. Oh, just make it up. Well, I don't want to lie. He's not being snarky or, or any kind of disrespectful or anything like that. 
he operates on such a literal level that he he literally feels like he he doesn't know who that person is. He doesn't want to tell stories. He doesn't want to make it up. That would be like a lie. So I have to manipulate expectations. I have to change how I say things in the classroom. I have to add words to my instructions or say them in a different way because while some but the main group over here I know is going to get it in order to address that very literal level of understanding I have to speak it in a different way that's something you're not going to get from instructions on a screen that kind of ability to customize in the moment what the students are hearing, what they're receiving, right? You're not going to be able to see when you do that thing with your forehead mm -hmm. and you pull your eyebrows together and I see that and I go, I don't know if he's disagreeing or if he's just concentrating really hard, but I see it and it gives me a clue that maybe I need to come back and, and address Larry and say, what, what did I do? What did I say? Do I have something in my hair? On that note, did you have a tech tool of the week? I want to reiterate Nearpod. I've talked about it a couple times in the in the podcast. Um, a couple friends of mine that I work with have been using it lately. The kids like it. It's it's not gamey. I love games. You know, I love games. It's not gamey, but there are a variety of different ways to check for student understanding. It can be one slide. It can be 20. It's a really flexible tool. It allows for you to embed videos or other, other things along the way. Uh, I really encourage people to just get in and start playing with it and see what it can do in terms of giving your kids a chance to be able to think before they talk and ability to um, review uh, some content that doesn't end up making you spend uh, the day behind your desk grading papers. I like it. Uh, tutorials and updates. Again, I'm just going to give another shout out for the TCAPS Tech Help site. Great for staff support. If you have questions, that's a great place to find answers um, or get a hold of our, our tech coaches. Danielle and, and David are always there to answer questions. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TCAPS Loop. At Technologist. Subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review on iTunes or any other service you happen to listen to us on and uh, provide some feedback. We'd like to know how we're doing, uh, how you think we're doing, and ways to improve. We also love hearing from you. And uh, thanks for listening and inspiring. But it was all, it was all united. There was a theme. <laughs>